Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of your covenant, I will release your prisoners from the waterless cistern. Return to a stronghold, you prisoners who have hope. Today I declare that I will restore double to you. This is the word of the Lord. Got me? Oh, wow. You do. You may want to turn that down. Thank you, Laurel. That's, um, um, you know, that's an easy text, right? We, you can read right into it what we need to um, know about that, so it'll be very brief. <laughs> um, well, and, and so, you know, there, I, I got some good news, I got some bad news, but I got some good news. The good news is I'm very comfortable getting up in front of people. And the bad news is I'm very comfortable getting up in front of people. <laughs> All right. But the good news is, is I don't know if the timing of this, uh, whoever timed this, it was perfect. It's like, there's potluck afterwards, and so I'm highly motivated by food. Uh, and so that, that, that's actually in our favor. Um, but I, I tell you, um, as I get started, and as I sat through the psalm, and I sat through the songs that we sang, and then what Laura Beth was like bringing out, um, it, there are no coincidences with how God brings us together and how things happen. And that is, it's like every little bit of that psalm and the songs that we sang all coordinate in to what the scripture is. Now, again, if you're like me, the first time you read the scripture and you heard it, it's like, uh, what is the application? Well, it just, it took a little bit. But I'm here to tell you, all of that, and again, the Holy Spirit enacted all of that. Everything that we talked about this morning in the songs and in the, in the original psalm um, all relates to this. And before I even begin, even being, you know, um, presented as an elder and even being up here before you today, you know, to open up God's word, um, I'll just be honest with you. There is a, there's a level that I feel inadequate and undeserved knowing how my life has been. Um, and so I, 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 that I feel that. I feel the weight of that. But praise God. We have a merciful God, a merciful, gracious God that forgives and can use someone who is an outright rebellion, can use us. And that's, and that's a beautiful thing, and I praise God for that. Um, I was talking to Diedrich beforehand, and, and there's a, so I'm a lawyer. Did I, did I mention that? Do you know that? I'm a lawyer. Um, and so there's a part, actually, Chris was like, well, is Jesus on trial today? He's not on trial. I'm an advocate for him. I'm an advocate. But there's a part of, you know, when I read this and I started going through this, and it's been a process. The process has been amazing. Um, I really, 
I, uh, um, just diving into a scripture and seeing what it has um, you know, for me personally and then what I think he's wanting us me to share has just been a great, has been a blessing. And so, you know, I, there's a part of being a lawyer is you want demonstrative exhibits. You want whatever, you know, something to show a judge or a jury. And so in my mind, I wanted to go get an interstate map, an old interstate map. Uh, and I knew I had one. I can visualize it. If it's a South Carolina, it only shows the major roads. But I couldn't find it. You know why? They're obsolete. We got these phones. You don't need a map anymore. You got Google Earth. Uh, if you got Benny riding with you, we have Benny maps. And I always, I know, I trust Benny when I get in the car. Benny, how do we get there? And he tells me, um, and that's, what, that's who I follow. And so, you know, the whole idea of a map is to execute a plan. The idea of, of using that map is to get to a destination, and that's what it is. It's a plan. And so the gist of what I think today's patches, passage reflects is his plan for us, his plan for humanity, but his plans for me and you. And so God, he created this world. He created us in his image. Um, and he, he has a plan to restore us. And that's the beautiful thing is that he's committed to that plan to adopt us, to rescue us, and to restore a right relationship with him. Uh, and the Bible evidences that. The Bible is the evidence of the map of his plan, of his character, and then how he wants us to live, to, to, uh, to worship him, how he wants us to treat each other, and then what Jesus has done um, in restoring that and that, that plan for him to be a part of it. And so he was so committed to that plan, you know, he, he came to earth. You know, he grew a body. He, he was subjected to all the temptations that we are subjected to, um, and yet he lived a perfect life, and he gave himself freely as a sacrifice to be tortured and then to die, not for his sins because he was sinless, but to die for not just our sins, but the sins of the entire planet. And that is incredible to think about it. And Will, I never thought about that until a couple of months ago when you talked about when he was on that cross, it wasn't the sins of Israel in that time. It would be for all time. And that just the, what he had to go through um, and all of that was just is something I had never thought about that, and it just, me, just gives me a greater respect for what he did. But then he rose again. It wasn't that he died. It's that God raised him from the dead to be an atoning sacrifice for all time, and that's, that's the part that, that's why we're here today. That's why we're here, is that we, he, you know, he took uh, our sin, and so now we believe in him, we can be with him forever. And so that's what this, pla this, this passage is all about. It's a part about his plan, and we're not outside observers. We're not outside observers. We're actually a part of that plan. So, you know, God spoke, and the earth, it existed. He, he spoke, and everything came, the plants and animals, the you know, night, and all of that came into existence. He doesn't need us to accomplish his plan. If he wanted to accomplish his plan of restoration, he could speak and be done. And yet, he uses us, he uses his people for just that. And that is, on the one hand, is awesome, but it's also very intimidating. Uh, but I submit to you that because God has a plan, because he has a plan for humanity and for us, me and you, that that is something where we can find rest in that. We don't feel like we need to control. We don't feel like we need to, to um, control outcomes. We don't need to control things. We can rest in that, and we can find freedom of that. And the freedom in that is to give away our lives, just like the songs we just sang about that. That's just no coincidence the Holy Spirit enacted all of that. And so because he has a plan, 
And because we can rest and have freedom, we can be a part of that plan. And so I just want to let us, I just want to pray now that as we open these passages and that our hearts and minds will be open to hear what God has for us and how he wants us to uh, have to act. So let us pray. Um, Lord, uh, we humbly come before you opening your word, your plan for us. And we are grateful that you gave us, that you love us, excuse me, you love us and you pursue us and that you sent your son Jesus to save us and that your word is true and it shows your unending faithfulness to your plan. And in response to that, um, for all that you have done for us, that we worship you, we cheerfully serve you, and we share our stories of life change uh, with others. And this morning, God, I pray that it is your words, not mine, that are heard, and that you are exalted, and we are open, um, we open as we open your word and apply it to our lives right here and right now. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't drink a lot of water, but I feel like I need it. So, you know, it's funny. Diedrich and I were talking about maps. Um, you know, he would use it when he was driving. He said, well, I folded, out, I folded out my maps. He goes, well, I had all my maps in a book. But we agreed on one thing, that those maps were not, where they just were, um, they would get you to your de destination. But what it, those maps did not show you was like if they looked like a shortcut, but it was over a mountain, that was not going to be slower. But again... We have Google Maps now that can erase all of that, and he can even calculate uh, traffic. But I love the part about, I love to get with maps, and this is something that just, it just struck me this morning. So, you know, a, an interstate map doesn't show relief, it doesn't show mountains, it, does, it shows rivers and things like that, but a topographic map is, is the ones that I love, and it shows the contours, and so I like to grab those things, and I like to, to study the contours, and one of the things I learned in the Army was, is that you can do what's called terrain association. So you're in the middle of the woods, and you take the map out, and you go, all right, well, there's a creek here. Well, there's a creek on this map. I can look and see a mountain here and a mountain there. And you can, looking at this map, triangulate and figure out where you are. And it's called, we, we refer to that as orienteering, but it's, an, it's to orient myself to where we say, we need to orient the map, and you take the map, and you kind of move it so that the contours line up with what's on the ground around you. And then you know where you are. But you don't just know where you are to just be where you are. You know where you are to know where you need to go. And I submit to you, and that, that's, that's lawyer language, by the way. I, don't know, I submit to you. So maybe, Chris, this is part of that. But I submit to you that the Bible, the Bible is, that's, that's God's map for us. Um, you know, it is, is what we, we need to, we're not just, and, and I guess the correlation is this is that if, could I take my uh, cell phone or whatever I've got and hit the button and know where I'm at? Yes. If you've got service and power, you can. If you don't have service or power, that little phone's not going to help you at all that stuff. But, but so the, the difference is, and I would say, well, that is reading the Scripture to check a box. And sometimes that happens. Reading the Scripture to just say, all right, well, I've done that for the day. But I, what I would say is that, and I would submit to you, and I would actually encourage, and I, this is for myself too, is that, is to sit and take the map out, take the Bible out, look around, and see what it has and how it applies to us. And so, when we, we talk about that, you know, what sticks out? What does this say about God? What does this say about me? And how can I obey? It takes time to do that. Yes, you can click the button on your Google Maps. Yes, you can read and just check that box. But I just submit to you, um, 
There's no extra charge. That actually is not in the plan. No extra charge for that. But I, I submit to you that the Bible is our roadmap and our plan that we need to spend time with, not, um, not just run through it, but we need to spend time with that and, and really see what it has to say about that. And so, again, if I love maps, the corollary to that is I like plans. I like to make plans. I like to be a part of a plan. I like it when Christine makes a plan, and then I don't have to make a plan. I like that. Um, I, I just think that's kind of good. And it's fun, sunny, funny, sometimes we actually will make a plan to not make a plan. We're like, let's just keep this day open. We're not going to have a plan or anything like that. And so it's, it's, a, good, it's a good part. I, I think that even um, if you like a plan or maybe that you're, somebody you're sitting there go, well, I don't really like plans, but I bet you have a routine. I bet you have a certain way you go to the grocery store. I bet when you're in the grocery store, you got a certain way you should kind of follow things like that. And so there's familiarity, uh, and, and there's, there, there's a comfort in that familiarity of what you have. So even if you say you don't like plans, I bet you really do. Um, but I would say, so not only if I like plans, it's no, it's no well, it wouldn't a, a leap to think that I had a plan for my life. And I did. I had a plan for my life early on. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and then I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I also want to be in the military. What if I went to a college that uh, was, had military, and then I felt like I, actually, I felt like I needed that um, so that I could check the box or be a part of the military, but also I needed to not be distracted. Um, I needed to not have, I'll just, I, didn't, I don't need to have women in my classroom to distract me from that. And in fact, so I chose the Citadel. If you don't know about the Citadel, it was a military college in Charleston that when I was there did not have women. But the more important thing is that you just couldn't leave. You, you just didn't get to go free wherever it was. And in fact, they had a thing called ESP, evening study period. From 7 to 10.30 at night, you had to be in your room studying. I needed that. I knew I needed that. That was my plan, that I was going to go to the Citadel, I was not going to be distracted, and it was going to help me get ready for and do well to go to law school. And I, and I did that. And so I, I felt that was the plan that I needed, and I put that plan into place. And so when I became a follower of Jesus in my 40s, no question, and it's not surprising, that God started to challenge the plan that I had for my life. Um, and and in, that, in, in that, he became real clear. Is it going to be your plan, or is it going to be my plan? And that was, it was not like an epiphany, where it wasn't something that just happened. It was a progress over time. It was a process, excuse me although it was a progress too. But it was a process over time of him really putting before me and challenging my need for control, my need to have a plan and how that plan was and where that plan was leading. And, oh, by the way, did I mention there's going to be a long intro? We're going to get to the scripture, I promise. We're going to get there. We're, we're, in fact, we're almost um, But there was a tension there. There was the tension when I became a believer of the things that were in my professional life and my family life and that the things that I knew God was calling me to do. And so there was a tension that was disrupting my plan, and it was a bit agitating at times. Um, I didn't like that. I didn't feel comfortable about that. But I think it was in that tension and that disruption that I got real clear how I needed to get on board. So about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, um, we got, Christine and I got called as we were, as our youngest kids uh, were going to go off to college and uh, we were going to be empty nesters that, we, that Christine felt like, and it was actually through the Straleys and the Brackens who were here, that we needed to be a part of this fostering community, being foster parents. And so we, we, we started taking the classes, and we said, well, 
you know, we're going to, we, first it was going to be just, we're going to do respite care, which is just kind of weekend care and things like that. And we got into the, into the training. I was like, no, we need to, we, we need to do this. We felt, felt very clear about that. But again, so a part of we're going to do something that's good was created a lot of tension and disruption about what our, my, well, not Christine, what my idea was about being empty nesters was going to be like, what retirement was going to be like. This completely disrupted and caused a lot of tension in me about what that was going to be, even though it was a good thing. It did, it just challenged me. And so in our idea, our idea about what fostering was going to be like is we were going to see a bunch of kids coming through our house and we were going to be able to love on them and, and share Jesus with them. That was our idea of what it was going to be like. So again, even, even in all of that, I had a plan, or at least I had an understanding of what my plan was. Well, that was, that's not how it went. We had, um, we had a young lady, a teenager, um, who had been through some serious trauma, but then also had some limitations, um, and that's, we had her for 18 months. And um, she was a sweetheart, she was funny, but she was, um, at the same time, challenging. This is convicting to me that I'm even saying this. It was exhausting at times. It, um, it took away from uh, the time that we had with our daughters in their senior year in high school. And even though it was a good thing and I knew it was a good thing, um, it was real clear that this challenge and this tension to my own plan for what my, our lives were going to be like was being, um, it was being exposed. And so... Um, what happened is, even in that time, in my need of control, I started trying to do things to try to reunite um, this young lady with her mother. I'm not proud of any of that stuff. Um, but my pushing, what I see now, I look back, as my pushing and my needing to try to fix things um, was, was God ripping away the idea of what my plan was. And what it came down to was I needed to get on with his plan and not my plan. And what it came down to was I, I realized that I, I understood that it was my, our job to raise that young lady and that we would be taking care of her the rest of her life. And I was like, I had to just come to grips with that. And I did. I got, came to grips. Now, that didn't happen. She, she is now actually with her mother. But um, God used all of that, that tension and that disruption to challenge me in what my plan was and to get me on board. Um, and, and again, it, 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 and so the interesting thing about all of that ripping down, you need to... Uh, get on, my, on board with my plan, really prepared us for where we are right now, which is here. And so I, what I know and I look back on is, is that all of that, I'm going to get on board with God's plan, led us here, and led us to be, not put time limits on all this other stuff, as just to say, God has something for us, and we are going to sit back and, and let that happen. So that's a beautiful thing about that plan. So your intro's about done. You're going to say, well, what does that got to do anything with the scripture that Laurel read? That was so, to me, it was very cryptic. It's just got language that I'm not, I don't use, I don't use all that stuff. So when I, when I, I this was going to be the passage I was going to teach about, um, how was I going to get up and say context is king if I didn't know the context of it? I mean, I could barely, you know, spell Zechariah without spell check. And so what I needed to do is I needed to read the book. I grabbed a commentary by a guy named... Um, Vernon McGee, who John Smith says used to listen to, you listen to him on the radio station. Um, and then I also got Right Now Media, and there was a great series of these young pastors that went through the entire book. We're not going to go through the entire book, but let's dive in. So that's what I did. I, that's to, to get, you know, just to, the deep dive into these three verses 
um, or four verses, I needed to dive into it. So context is? All right. So um, in the beginning, as I said in the beginning, or at least if I didn't say at the beginning, I'll say it now. This scripture is loaded with a lot of prophecy, a lot of plans, like global kind of things or God's plan for humanity, but it really is for us too. And so in the time when Zechariah was a prophet, prophets were how God used to talk through, talk to his people. So he was a prophet with the prophet Haggai, which I don't know if that's how you say his name or not, but they were the last two prophets before what's referred to as the 400 years of silence. And so there had been all these prophets and kings and the story of Israel in the Bible, uh, the chosen people and how they obeyed God and then and things went great, and they started to get big-headed, and they started rebelling against God, and then they got conquered and sent into uh, um, exile. So actually, Haggai and Zechariah were in uh, Persia, and King Darius sends them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, which is a crazy separate thing that God is using as secular king to rebuild his temple. That's, that's, we could spend hours on that. That's pretty cool. So what he did, so Zechariah, they're sent back and, and they are, he's, this book is actually a bunch of visions of what is to come. Prophecies are, you know, what's going to come in the future. It's God telling them this is what's going to happen. And so that's where, that's where we are. And so there's, it's 400 years of silence from Haggai and Zechariah. Chronologically, they're, they're the last two books in the Bible. 400 years before the coming of Jesus. Now, I get angry when my phone doesn't tell me what I'm looking for in seconds, if the TV doesn't turn on within my expectations and all. And so there's 400 years where the Israelites, they're looking to these prophecies um, in, in hope of the Messiah. And so the Messiah has been predicted, the Savior, where, where God is going to send someone that will save the nations. That's been all through you know, King David. It's in the Psalms. It's in the book of Isaiah. They were aware of all of this stuff. So they're looking forward to this Messiah. And so Zechariah, I'm going to be graphically here. Right? So Zechariah is here. He's writing this book in anticipation of the Messiah. So he's looking this way. All right, I'm going to do this. And so he's looking forward to the king, this righteous king, this, um, that, that they're going to, have, that's going to claim victory. That's what he's saying, that he's giving this vision to the, the Israelites of what's going to come. And then we've got, and so that's like the first time period. It is before the coming of Jesus, this anticipation of the Messiah. And then we've got the time where we live in now, where you know, the, the, Jesus has come, he's lived a perfect life. He, he suffered and died, and he was raised from the dead. And then the people saw him. There were witnesses that saw that Jesus had, raised, had been raised from the dead. And then this church exploded. We're here 2,000 years later from, you know, some fishermen, a tax collector, and, and, a, and, a, and a tiny church that exploded out of Jerusalem. We're here 2,000 years later. That in and of itself is an amazing thing to think about. But we can look back and say some of the things in this passage have happened and so now, one of the other parts of this passage is there is Jesus' second coming that's also mentioned in here. And I know, again, that, that, that language didn't come quite clear to me, but I had to read commentaries of it. So we're now here. Jesus has come. The second coming is, is in front of us, and, 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 and Zechariah is saying what that's going to be like. And then it's, the question is, so how do we live? How do we respond knowing this? And so that's what we're going to dive into. So the first part of... Um, 
Well, and the mention, too, is that, you know, this, this idea, this first part, this first verse in Zechariah is actually mentioned in the Gospels about how Jesus comes in on the, on the donkey into Jerusalem. So let, let's, let's break this down, uh, this, first, uh, this first verse in, in Zechariah 9. So in verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. And I'm not going to do nearly as good a job as Laurel did, but th- th- this is the thing where you, I, I need to be shouting this. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So let's just let's start the first part. Rejoice, shout, victory. All of that is coming. That is a prediction. That is an encouragement um, that was encur- that's meant to be encouragement then. It's meant to be encouragement now. Um, and so that, but, and it says, your king, your king is coming to you. Again, this whole idea of it being a global type of thing, it does have that global type of connotation, but it also is very personal to us, is that our king is coming to us. And then this is the part where it just kind of, it goes. It's like, um, he will be righteous. Mm, kings of that day, we know, not righteous. Leaders of today, mm, not very righteous. He will be um, humble, no, victorious, Yes, in maybe a military sense. Um, but they say he's, he's going to be humble. Again, that's, that's not what we know of the kings of the Old Testament. That's not what we know of our leaders now. They're not humble. So what we know is, is that, um, that he was going to be a different type of king. Jesus was going to be a different type of king. Um, and he, he even said, Jesus says, I came to serve, not to be served. Well, that's completely contrary to what the Israelites thought and how kings had been. Everyone served the king, but Jesus says, no, I come to serve, not to be served. I come to serve, not to be served. And he plainly stated that he was going to be a stumbling block. Now, kings are, you know, traditionally leaders, they unite people. Jesus has said, I'm going to be your king, and I'm going to cause tension and a, you know, because stumbling, a stumbling block. And that stumbling block is going to be, you going to get on board with my plan, or are you going to do your plan and see how that turns out for you? So that's what Jesus said he, from the very beginning um, in this, this whole the context of this prophecy, there is, there's going to be tension. Is that there's going to be a king that's going to be victorious, but he's going to be humble, and he's going to ride on a donkey. Now, there's, when I was kind of doing this study, uh, this whole idea of the humble and riding a donkey, one of, the, one of the commentators said, when we think about Jesus setting his eyes on Jerusalem, Jesus knew what was coming. He tried to tell his disciples, and they're like, what do you mean you're going to suffer and die? They thought he was going to be this military leader, this conqueror who's going to kick the Romans out. Um, and so he, he's trying to tell them, I'm going to suffer and die. And they don't believe him. So Jesus knows this. Jesus knows what he is going to, um, um, what he's going to go through. Um, and he knows he's going to be raised from the dead. And yet, on the night before he died, he sweat blood. He was saying, you know, if, if there's any other way. Uh, and so he knew, he knew what was going to happen to him, and he goes to Jerusalem. In one of the verses, one of the translations, he set his eyes on Jerusalem. That's pretty powerful. Um, that he lived a perfect life, and he knew what was coming, and he was going to accomplish his task. The triumph is not, the triumph is when he is raised from the dead, and there's no question about that. But the triumph begins when he's on that donkey. He's fulfilling prophecy. He has lived a perfect life, um, and that's, to me, I never, I never thought of it that way, and I just thought that was something I ought to add into it is that it says that you know, God, in one of the translations in John 6, 3.16, it says, this is how much God loved the world. I think that's a cool way to put that. 
know, he, this is how much he loved us, that he sent his own son to suffer and die for us. And that was what I say is that his, his entry into Jerusalem on that donkey um, was just that. It was a victory, and it was something that he, um, it, was, it showed how much he loved us. And so there's, there's a part here in this first part of this thing that we knew that even in the, the time of Jesus, he would, he would look back to, and the Gospels actually point back to this verse in Zechariah, say, here, Zechariah predicted this, and this happened. And Jesus says that, I am the fulfillment of the Scriptures. They say this, and I am that. And so we talk about credibility, you know, as a, as a culture we need credibility. It's like we need to know, well, they say this, and this is what they mean. And so in, that, in this time, Jesus is saying, you, you want, I, I've done miracles. I clearly, he has shown that he was supernatural. But then here is where the scriptures have pointed to, my, to where he's at. And so um, in, in that instance, too, it's just like um, it, it, there's a credibility of what Zechariah has predicted when Jesus was on, when he was on earth. But there's a part of this piece of Zechariah that is actually in the verses above that that I, I just, I read it and I just, I, I felt like I needed to bring it in here. So everybody knew who the Philistines were. The Philistines? Philistines. Yeah, you can, this is group participant. Who was a really tall, giant Philistine? Goliath. Goliath. All right. Um, and that, that in and of itself, you know, that evokes, um, you know, they were fearsome warriors and all, but there's the, the Old Testament is full of where the Philistines are the nemesis of the Israelites. I mean, they're, they're, they're just the nemesis. So in the verse preceding uh, verse 9, and it's used some graphic language, but God says, I'm going to grab the bloody meat from the mouths of the Philistines, and I'm going to make them a remnant like Judah. All right, that's, that's the Israelites' enemies. He's going to make a remnant. Um, that's us. You know, we, are, we were God's enemies when we were outside of that. And so... It, and that's the part. So Paul says in Romans, and then it sums this piece up. For if, while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? We were the Philistines. God uses his enemies to expand his kingdom. That's crazy. And I felt like the, the, the idea of the Philistines, they were going to be a remnant like Judah. That's us. We are not, other of us that are not Jewish, we are the Philistines. We were his enemies. And so um, that, that part, that's just the idea of he's going to be victorious. He is going to shout um, uh, in, in triumph, but he's going to be something, he's going to be a stumbling block. He's going to be like no other king. So that is Jesus' entry into, that's his first coming, coming to Jerusalem in that. The second coming starts in verse 10, and this is the part, it's kind of cryptic. Not kind of cryptic, it is cryptic. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the, I don't know where that is, that's a place someplace, I guess there, and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the earth, ends of the earth. Now, here's what we know. This says he will proclaim peace to the nations. We don't have peace in our nations. Our nations are at war. Our world is at war. Our worlds are at least, even when they're not at war, they're not at peace. So that's, this is clearly an indication of this is going to happen later. God's going to make that happen where there is going to be peace among the nations. It means we're living in between God's first, Jesus' first coming and that second coming when he says there will be peace in the nations. Um, and then he says his dominion will extend from sea to sea and then the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. Well, we know there's unreached people across the street. 
in our, in our community, in our neighborhood. There's people that, that know of Jesus, but they don't know the saving power of Jesus. And that's what, so we're not there yet. But God is saying, this is going to happen on Jesus' second coming. Is that, that this is what's going to happen. In fact, Jesus spoke about this. He spoke about this second, when he comes back and restores and, and, and is with us. He says this in John 14. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you will be also. And this is also described in Matthew and then in Mark. But in Revelation, it's even more crystal clear than this. So it says in, um, in Revelation uh, 21, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. Now, here, here's what I, I get from this. He's going to wipe away the tears of the things that we have done, the shame of things that we have done, or the tears caused by others, the shame caused by others. He's going to wipe away that tear. But a part of that is the things that cause those tears, the death, the sorrow, the crying, and the pain, that's going to be gone too. So we can't do that. We, I mean, I can't, I can't change my own heart. A very wise man told me that in a time where I needed to hear that. Um, much less, I can't change my own heart, much less someone else's. God can do that. And there is a going to be a point where we are restored with him, um, and all of that is going to be reconciled. Again, it's beautiful. That's the name of our church. But he's going to reconcile everything to himself, and it's going to be perfect. We're not going to have any sin. We're not going to fight any of that stuff. And to me, that's a great plan. I want to get on board with that plan. And that's the hope that we have. And so it finishes up in 11 and 12. Uh, Zachariah says this. It says, as for you, again, to me, very personal language, because of the blood of your covenant, I release your prisoners from the waterless cistern. Return to a stronghold, you prisoners who have hope. Today I will declare, I will declare, I will restore double to you. And so the first thing it says is that because of the covenant, because of the blood covenant, that's Jesus. Because of our belief in Jesus, that blood covenant, um, we are going to be released from a waterless cistern. Now, I had to think about this. A cistern, I think, is supposed to hold water. If it's waterless, it's not serving its purpose. If it's not serving its purpose, it's kind of useless. And I don't know, in my mind, that means that's a metaphor, if that's even the right word, uh, for this world. And this world is not serving its purpose. This world, it's a broken world. And so we know we're going to be a part of this broken world as a part of God's plan to then, to then take us to us. He is going to return us to a stronghold, and he is going to restore double to you. Now, there's another, the NLT translation says this, it goes, I promise this very day I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Well, that's encouraging. That's hope. And I love that. I love that. that that's just a great idea. And again, uh, I also kind of said, well, this is kind of the continuation of John Smith's his, 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 um, sermon last week, is that there's hope in Jesus, or two weeks ago. But this is the hope. This is the hope that we have, that we have before us. And so again, all of this is in, in this plan. We, we look at, um, you know, what... Uh, the coming of Jesus, and that's been, that's been validated. Zechariah wrote, uh, wrote about it. Jesus came. He fulfilled that prophecy. And then Jesus says, 
here's now what's coming next. I'm I'm with you now, but I'm going to come again. And so we're living in between that. Jesus is coming and Jesus is second coming. And then so then how do we respond? Um, Well, I just read this. It's like in John 14, it says, believe in God, believe in me. That's believe in Jesus. All right, well, that's step one. That's not cryptic at all. Uh, and guess what? In John 3, 16, it says, whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. Not cryptic at all. Believe in me, believe in him. The second part is Jesus says, and this is, again, he's crystal clear, and it's probably a clarity that would make us all feel a little uncomfortable. And it's the song we actually we read, we sang earlier today. So in Luke 9, he's just fed the 5,000 people. So he's, this is, he, is, he has done something supernatural, something that says, I'm different. I am God. I am the Son of God. He's done something to show that he has power. And he's actually he's pre, he's teaching his disciples how to pray, and he's talking about his coming suffering and death. And then he says this, again, crystal clear to the point of probably being very uncomfortable. He says this. He says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. That's crystal clear. He's told us what we have to do. We sang about it earlier. Robert Lee, he, he preached about a month ago. He talked about a parable where a man found a land, piece of land that had a treasure on it, and he sold everything he had to get it. That's, that is, so what are we to give up? Everything. I mean, that's what it is. And that's... We, and this is, this, is, this is crazy to think about, especially from the military part. We have to surrender to gain victory. And that's not a paradox. In any other context, that is a paradox. It's not. That's exactly what Jesus says that we need to do. Now, is that, is that huge? Yes. Is that, high, is that high stakes? It's the highest stakes. But has he proven that he keeps his promise has he proven, even like in the Holy Spirit today, when we are singing, there is a right, I, just, I feel it in my bones. I feel it in this church when we are um, we just fellowshipping, fellowshipping with each other in the intermission. I, I feel it in potluck. But, you know, God is working and doing, um, and, and so the idea of is it okay to give up our lives for this? Yes, yes it is. So, um, we're just turned from our separate, selfish ways and believe in him. And one of the things, and, and Mary, uh, Laura Beth, you, you, you said this earlier. And it's a song we sang last week. I was hoping we sing it this week. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 27, 13. So we sang this back in, old race, in race Street. And I, just, I was resonating on this. And Tracy Turner says, oh, well, that's Psalm 27, 13. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper, I guess, for my, my, and I have it taped up next to my mirror. That right there, why do we, why do we give our lives away? Because we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so that's right there. He is telling us that we are going to see the goodness of God right here, right now. So if, if that's not enough, and to me that's enough, um, but that's not enough. So, you know, Pastor Will, he, he taught something a year ago last February, and I was a place I had to listen to it remotely, but it, 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 um, God used him in that sermon to say something that stuck with me, uh, and I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. It says, God uses the everyday interaction of his people to crush the head of Satan. Amen? Amen. That to me, I mean, so it, is it great uh, 
fabulous things like, you know, is it a stadium fulls of people making commitments? It's the everyday interaction of his people is crushing the head of Satan. That, to me, it's that simple. Why do we do it? Because we want to see uh, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so, again, uh, what do we need to, what have we know, what has been the uh, mantra in the last, in, in the book of Mark? Read the scriptures and pray. All right, well, let's read the scriptures and pray. And I'm not going to repeat it, but I, I think the whole idea of the Bible being something to orient our lives means we don't push a button or we don't just callously just read it to check a box. It is something that we should take time um, to, to really to listen. And I'll just admit that's a, stru- that's a struggle that I have to sit and quiet my brain uh, and let that happen. It's just I'm a high-energy dude, and that happens. That's a problem with me. But we need to find the sit alone, to thoughtfully read God's Word and listen, and then we got to act. I think that was what, that's in one of the songs we sang that they do. It, it's, there's an action involved. Is that we're to take up our cross. We're supposed to get connected. That's reaching out and intermission. Our church does a great job of this, of welcoming people and just interacting with people. Potluck is another way of doing it. Um, men's and, and women's prayer breakfast. Step out into children's ministry. Um, by the way, if anyone wants to help drive the van on Sunday mornings, please see me or Tracy about that. We need help with that. It's Carolina High. It's Wednesday night student ministry. It's the little things to have the impact that is giving our life away. You say, well, that doesn't sound like giving my life away. Um, I agree, it doesn't, because it's just a joyful thing. Even those high school students, there's joy in it. I cannot, I don't understand it. In fact, I was, I was saying about that, and RJ was like, you find joy in hanging with us? I don't understand it. God's put that on my heart. Um, but there is a joy in, in, in living this way. And in fact, what about this? How about smile? How about just smile at someone you know, just like day to day? That's, that's an easy thing. Because here's what I would say. It's like Paul says in Ephesians, he said, live a life worthy of your calling. And I think smiling, is that's, we can all do that. But get in a routine. Here's, the, here's the, the next step. God's been growing me in this. And I deal with lawyers. And by the way, I do construction law. I don't do that. That's all I do is construction. I know I always feel like I need to qualify that. I know, I know, you're right. Um, but I deal with hardened, I mean, I mean, hardened is not the right word either. They're easy to get along with, but they're shells. I mean, there's an inflated sense of self-importance that goes along with this, this profession. I don't just know. I mean, look, I'm up here. So there is a, there's, a, there's a bit of that. But I, found, I got into a routine of just mentioning about our church, about how following Jesus has made a change in my life. And it has been amazing to hear in some of the, the deeper levels of friendships with other lawyers because of that. So get in a routine and, and pray for God's courage, cur, courage get, to give you courage to do that. Just expressing about, you know, your church. Well, we, my wife and I like to go do this. We do this in, in our church. And it will, oh, we said, well, what church do you go to? And you start talking about that. And so there is a way... To, um, to just have that as a part of your routine. Um, but take, take, also take words. So again, we're, we're kind of, why, should we, why should we take up our cross and follow him and give our lives away? This is, this, this is a continuation of, I guess I'm being the advocate now, Chris, in that. So the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 3.20, which is, again, it's one of the, the, it's a verse that I cling to because the import of it is incredible. It says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. 
That means what he has planned for us, our minds are too limited to even fathom what that could be. And here's the thing. I, I am guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. So, we talk about maps. Um, you know, we talk about, um, you know, this, this whole idea of his God having a plan for us and then us having to trust him that the creator of, of the universe has a better plan than our feeble minds would, is that, you know, my plan, I, we, we talked about that. Um, so, after getting on board with God's plan, um, let us hear. And so, several years um, we got involved, uh, Christine got involved in mentoring, and I started mentoring a young man that went to Tanglewood that ended up at Carolina High, and I started doing some ministry at Carolina High with Ron Weingart, who's here, and then we started getting involved in Carolina High, and then our church, Grace Church, had, um, did a video on Will and this church, and I said, I need to go meet him. And so, through meeting him and then doing some things with Carolina High, Will says, um, hey, I would like for you and your wife to consider coming to our church. And so we did. And so after the first time, we we're like, this is where God wants us to be. And through, when I go back, when I said the process that I had where God ripped away my idea of my plan is that in this moment here, when we said we're going to go here, it was like, well, we're not going to put a time limit. We're not going to put like some artificial thing about this. We're, we're going to release the tension of the disruption of that, of leaving a church that we had been at um, and, and that we loved. We didn't have any other reason not to go. And we released all of that. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, and so in, in all of that, um, I had gotten, so again, that's why we're here. And so I just, we're all in, but there was something, a seed that had been planted before then. We had gotten to go to um, uh, an, an international English-speaking church in, um, in Germany. And I'm fascinated with Germany. History, just the land, it's just beautiful and all. And so a seed got planted and kind of like, uh, in the back of my head, well, you and Christine can go and y'all can be a part of that church, you know, for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And I was like, oh, that'd be so cool. I would love to go do that. So that this, this has been in the back of my head. It's just like, well, how do I, how would I, how can I leave, how would I ever be able to leave Reconcile even for a week or two uh, to go do that? And so it was something that was a little bit of a tension and a disruption um, um, that was dogging me. All right, and so last year we actually were in Germany with some kids um, on a trip, and uh, they'd have been delayed for a couple of years. And my dad's health was declining, and I'm going to read this because I'm going to lose it. But guess what? I'm prepared. Um, so uh, my dad's health was declining, um, and I remember sitting downstairs uh, one morning, and I was thinking about what I would say at his memorial service. And it got real clear to me um, that my home was here. I didn't need to be in Germany. I didn't need to be thinking about that English-speaking church. That it was real clear to me that God's plan was for us here, and I felt great about that. Um, and, and really, while I was sitting there and I was really thinking about you know, his life, he had been a believer since I was old enough to even be aware of all of that. Um, and I was reflecting, again, that my family for all of those years, um, and where I was now, and it just got clear um, that this is where I was supposed to be. There's no disruption. There's no, dis there's no tension in any of that. And it was a beautiful, uh, just, just an idea for me to think about, uh, and it's, it's for different for all of us. Where God has us, where he wants us to be, there, there's just a level of, um, 
a trust that we have to put in place. And so the song that we, we sang earlier talked about obedience. And so um, the obedience is this. Is we're to believe in God. Uh, we're to believe in Jesus. We're to humble ourselves to our creator who loved us enough to send his son to be a perfect and once and for all sacrifice for our sin. He suffered. But friends, he conquered death so that we could be with him. And I'm going to close with this. It, the call is to lay down our lives and to follow him. And what he has planned for us is in Ephesians is greater than we could ever think. So this is my prayer. And so we're going we're to pray now. I'm gonna, and my prayer is coming. I didn't write this. This is from 1 Peter. But this is a prayer. And it's a prayer that encompasses all of that. It encompasses all of God's plan and how we are to respond. So let, let's play with, pray with this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine and it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you will rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Amen.